Wonderful. So today we are going to be recapping our series, Life After Death, here that we're in because we're finishing it up today. Uh, we began and we talked about how ultimately at the moment of death, our bodies and our souls are separated. Our bodies are finite. They don't last forever from dust to dust. But our souls were made to be eternal. And so our souls leave our bodies. And ultimately, we talked about how we are going to face a judgment. Every single person in this world is going to face a judgment. Some will be rewarded and some will be thrown into the lake of fire. Unbelievers, we read about, immediately go to Hades, this place of conscience suffering while they wait for the final judgment, at which time everybody inside Hades who doesn't have their name written in the book of life is going to be thrown into the eternal lake of fire. And when we think of the word hell, we're most of the time thinking of that eternal place, that lake of fire where everybody is going to exist completely apart from the presence of God and everything good. And last week's message about hell was an incredibly heavy message. I saw it on your faces as I was giving that message. But today, I promise, it's going to be a lot more uplifting. Some of you, I know you came back. It was part one, you're like, okay, I feel like I'm left here hanging. Ryan, I got to hear about the other side. And so that's what we're going to be doing today. We're talking about what's in store for everybody who puts their faith in Jesus on this side of eternity. And that is a life spent in the presence of God in heaven. So when I say heaven, what comes to your mind? Shout it out. What do you think of when I say heaven? What? Above us. You point up. That's right. What else? Clouds. And yeah, babies. Are you in a diaper, Larry? <laughs> right, we've got these crazy pictures of that. Yeah, what else? Streets of gold. No stress. Won't that be lovely? Wings. Presence of God. Yeah. These are the things, and I was hoping you guys, you're more educated than the average Americans. A lot of people allow culture, books, movies, television shows to shape what they believe about heaven. And that's why we get these distorted views that we're playing harps in diapers in the clouds above us. And we're like, well, yeah, okay, you're taking a little bit here and a little bit there from Scripture, a phrase here, a phrase there. And we come up with something that's completely not biblical at all. And the unfortunate thing is because of people's uh, ignorance to the things of heaven and the things of hell, they're really not that excited about heaven, and they're really not that terrified of hell. It doesn't drive them or motivate them at all. They have fun singing songs like Highway to Hell, and in heaven there is no beer. That's why we'll drink it only here. Um, these are songs that just make fun of the various places that we're going so today, we are going to begin, like we have through this whole series, we need to be educated. What does the Bible actually say about heaven? And to kick that off, I want to first look at some of the misconceptions. What is not true about heaven? And the first thing we have to say is heaven is not simply a state of mind. 
Some people, because you take this idea that the body and the soul are separated, and so heaven is just kind of like a state of mind, a state of bliss. And yes, heaven is going to be bliss, but it's more than that. This concept of just a state of being is kind of like a Hindu belief. It's not Christian at all. And yes, at first, we will be there without our resurrected bodies until we get to the final judgment. Like when you read 1 Corinthians 15, we get our new bodies at the last day, that final judgment. But that doesn't mean that we're just in like an unconscious state of being. Jesus told us when He died and was resurrected that He was going to go and prepare a place for us. This is what He told His disciples in John chapter 14, verse 2. He said, My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. That sure does sound like a place, doesn't it? Now, we may not know where it is right now. It may be in a different realm. We don't have the full details on it. But we know that it's more than just a state of thinking. The other thing that we know heaven is not is an eternal worship service. Now, I love singing songs more than probably the average Christian. Like, I may not have the best voice, but I love a good worship service. But the concept of heaven being an eternal worship service that never ends sounds a bit overwhelming to even me. And the reason that we get to this concept, I'll there's verses. This is, you know, you never get to these misconceptions without a verse that's taken out of context, right? There's always a root that started this belief. So in Revelation chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Day and night they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And I love that verse and I love that song that takes those words and puts it into song. But that's not for us when we get to heaven. Those words are being repeated over and over by the four creatures who ultimately live in the throne room of God and that is their purpose. But that's not what we are going to be doing. And the other thing is, when we think about worshiping God, because we understand worship's going to be a huge component of what heaven is, right? When we're there in the presence of God, we're going to be worshiping. But for so many people, when they hear worship, they instantly think it means we have to be singing. And what that does is it simply shows that we have a very limited view of what worshiping God looks like. If only singing is how we worship God, then yes, we're going to have to sing the entire time that we're there. But worship is so much bigger. We worship God in so many different ways. Worship is an approach. It's the way that we come before God in everything that we do. And so we can worship God and serve God with our whole beings without having to be singing the same 7-Eleven song over and over. I know how much you guys love those songs that just go over and over and over and never seem to stop. I can promise you that's not what heaven is going to be like. 
A third misconception is to this cloud idea, right? This monotonous cloudscape, kind of like you're flying at 30,000 feet in an airplane and you look out and yeah, you may see the sun, but you just see a layer of clouds underneath you and that's all that you can see. It's as though we trade our beautiful landscape that's all around us with mountains and trees and sunsets and beaches and we think that when we go up, into heaven that we just trade the landscape for the cloudscape. And the verse that gets us there is Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Jesus has just said His final things to His disciples and He is to be ascended. It says, after He said this, He was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid Him from their sight. And so yes, heaven is tied into everything above and that makes sense because when we talked about Hades and Sheol in the Bible, <clears throat> it always talks about being below and in the ground and underneath and subterranean. So if the dead go down, then eternal life goes up. It just works for us conceptually. Does that mean that heaven exists somewhere above us? Not necessarily. Uh, it also shows when we think that all heaven is is clouds all around, we have such a limited view of what God has decided to decorate His throne room with. I mean, in our creation right here, it's absolutely fantastic the variety of colors and sounds, textures, animals, and plants that we get to see that come in every shape and size. Why would God make His throne room all the same color? Maybe that's how you paint your house, but that's not how God decorates His home and all of heaven. So what is heaven? Well, I know that we all, we want to know exactly what it is. What's it going to be like? How's it going to feel? Scripture only takes us so far. Suffice it to say that when the Bible talks about heaven, it isn't just talking about the sky above. I think a better definition for what heaven is, for us to wrap our minds around it, is that it is simply the present home of God and His angels and the ultimate destination of His saints on earth. And so even in this definition, it's a little bit awkward because we say God is omnipotent, omniscient and omnipresent. That means that He is everywhere all at the same time. And yet, heaven is somehow the special location where God is felt most fully. Where His glory is exhibited most clearly. Where His angels, His servants dwell among Him and they live there as well. And it's also where His saints, when we cease to exist here on this earth, when our breathing stops and our heart stops beating, we join Him in the presence of God, Scripture says. Jesus says, you'll be with me in paradise. And that's this heaven where we then join God. So, where the unbeliever, though, immediately goes to Hades which is a temporary place of suffering before entering hell for all of eternity, the lake of fire, believers immediately go to the presence of Jesus, which by definition is heaven. This is what Jesus, while hanging on the cross, he said, that you'll be with me in paradise. But there's something here that a lot of people don't think about. We think that heaven is a one-shot deal. 
But actually, Scripture tells us that where God is now in heaven is going to be replaced as well with a new heaven. We see in multiple passages that God is going to make all things new, a new heaven and a new earth at the, on the last day. 2 Peter chapter 3, in verses 10 and 13, he writes this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. But in keeping with His promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So here's the really important thing to remember. We know that paradise in the presence of God at the moment we pass from this life to the next is going to be amazing. We know that. Absolutely certain. But it won't even be complete. We won't experience it in its fullness until the last day, the final judgment when we receive our heavenly bodies. And in fact, what this new heaven is going to be like is most of what we read about in the Bible. The Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about what heaven is like right now. But when you get to the book of Revelation, God gave John, the Apostle John who lived with Jesus, this vision of the new heaven and the new earth coming down. And that's what we have the most vivid description of what heaven is going to be like. And that's what we're going to talk about right now. So as we look at what heaven is going to be like, it's from John's vision and it's describing the new heaven that is ultimately going to be our eternal home with God. The first thing we know is that it will be a place of absolute beauty. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. We can't even fathom what heaven is going to be like. We can't wrap our minds around it. We have five senses and our eyes can only see so many colors. And some of us see far fewer colors than other people. Some of you can have really good sniffers. You can smell everything. I don't. I have no idea. My wife walks in. She says it smells gross in here. I said, oh, I didn't even notice. Sometimes I'm glad that I don't have a good nose. Um, but when we get to heaven, I think our senses are all going to be heightened. What God has created is going to be absolutely magnificent and pure and beautiful. We catch a glimpse of what the heavenly city is going to be like in Revelation 21. Remember I said that's where we're going to be pretty much the rest of our time now today. It says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Brides always do everything to look perfect and beautiful and pleasing in every single way on their wedding day. And so we get that analogy that God wants this heavenly city to be absolutely amazing, to take our breath away. The wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. We hear the streets are made of gold. There's so many descriptions here. I had to cut us off. But John is trying to use the most vivid and beautiful language that he can to describe something that I believe his language probably fell far short of ever describing for us. 
The next aspect of what heaven is going to be like is that we will all finally be relationally whole. In Revelation 22, verse 2 and 3, it says, On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. You know, that curse, in, you go all the way back to Genesis 1, and Genesis 2, right? God makes a garden. He puts Adam and Eve in it, and it's wonderful. It's amazing. They are to have this beautiful relationship between those, them two and with God as well. God walks in the garden. He talks with them. Everything is right. But then when they sin and they eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, this curse is put upon them. And there's this relational distance between Adam and Eve, between them and God. Relationship got, was broken in that moment. People became selfish. People became jealous. Cain killed Abel in the very next chapter of the Bible. And we see, as you read through the entire Old Testament, how evil people's hearts are towards one another. Relationally, we just can't seem to get it together. Marriage with the person that you most love and have vowed to commit your life to can be so challenging at times because they are other. And as much as you try to see things from their point of view, sometimes you're just like, wow, this is hard. But when we get to heaven, there's no curse. There's the healing of the nations, of all this fighting between different countries, people vying for power over one another. All of that is put behind us. Evil, sin, selfishness, all of it is dealt with and removed and purged from us. And so what's left is the perfection of what God created us to be. And our relationships can finally flourish the way that God originally intended for each one of us. We can be made relationally whole. And that brings us to the next part. What heaven is like is that it gets us back to the original purpose in the garden. When God made Adam and Eve, He said, Be fruitful and multiply, multiply, rule and reign over everything here. They were to have authority over the garden. They were to work the garden and the plants and to take care of the animals. And ultimately, we're told that we're going to have a little bit of that when we get to heaven ourselves. In Revelation 22, verse 3, it says, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him, and they will reign forever and ever. So we have this picture that somehow we're going to be in the heavenly city, and we're going to be serving God, but we're also going to be reigning in various ways. It's going to be a lot more than just singing. I think this beautiful ark that God has made, He takes what He originally created us to do, and we screwed the whole thing up. And he says, you know what? I'm going to make a new place of perfection. And we're going to get back to that original purpose for which I made you. To serve me, love me, worship me, be in perfect relationship with me. And you'll still get to reign and rule over this new earth that I'm creating. That's going to be absolutely beautiful and stunning. And final aspect of what heaven is, is that we will be fully in the presence of God. 
more important than the physical beauty of the heavenly city, more important than the fellowship that we will enjoy between one another with all of God's people from every nation through all periods of time, more important than our freedom from pain and sorrow, from physical suffering, and more important than reigning over God's kingdom, more important by far than any of that is going to be the fact that we will finally receive what we've wanted. And that is to be in the presence of God completely. To see Him face to face. Revelation 21.3 And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and He will dwell with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and will be their God. If you're like me, maybe you've had one of these experiences where you just felt the tangible presence of God in a very unique way at some point in your life. You've had that moment where you just say, Ryan, I can describe everything about it because it was so unique. It was so special. I felt something just different than I've ever felt. And I know that it was a real touch of God in my life. And if you've ever had that moment, you never forget it because it's just different than even coming here on a week-in and week-out rhythm of singing and worshiping God together. But having those moments where it just feels like the presence of God is greater in your midst, they're memorable. And they're just a foretaste of what your eternity is going to be like. We will have the opportunity to be in the transcendent presence of God for all of eternity. So when you think about what life will be like after you die, you can focus on the beauty and that sin and evil will finally be removed and left, leave us with everything that's perfect. You can even wonder about what you're going to do there, what will ruling be like for you maybe. But most importantly, we have to focus, when we think about heaven, we have to focus our thoughts on who we are going to be there with. We're going to see Jesus on the throne at the right hand of the Father. We're going to be able to talk to Him, ask Him questions, experience His glory in the fullness in a way that no human has ever been able to fully grasp. So our series on life after death is coming to a close today. And I understand we've talked about a whole bunch of technical jargon, honestly. We talked about a great white throne judgment and a Bema seat. Many of you are like, a Bema seat? What the heck is that even today? We talked about Sheol and Hades and Abraham's bosom. Even as we talked about heaven, I was able to turn it into bullet points because that's how I think. But we have to understand all these things in eternity are so important for us to understand. It needs to be more than just definitions. It needs to be more than just these technical terms about where we go and when. This series ultimately is about every one of our eternities. Where are you going to spend eternity? Because what you believe about what I've been talking about here is going to shape how you live. It's going to shape the decisions that you make in this life. And ultimately, those decisions shape what's going to happen to you after you take your final breath. 
Every single one of us has two big decisions that we have to make in this life. The first decision is, what are you going to do with all the information that I've presented to you? With everything that the Bible says about heaven and hell and judgment. Do you believe that this is true? Do you believe that God actually offers a free gift of salvation from the judgment that we deserve and He instead rewards us with His goodness and His presence in heaven forever? The big thing we have to understand is heaven is not full of really good people. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. This is a huge piece that we have to wrestle with. You don't get to heaven just by being good or good enough or better than another person next to you. We all get there because we are forgiven. Because our first decision is, God, I know I am never good enough to get out of hell and what is awaiting me there. I am never good enough to have my name written in the book of life. But you make an offer to me that if I put my faith in Jesus, that ultimately His righteousness will be credited to me and my name will be put in the book of life and I don't have to ever worry again about the flames of, of hell, but instead I can only focus on what I know is going to be a million times better than life on this earth and that is eternity spent with you, God. But that only happens when we say, God, I'm not good enough. Forgive me for what I've done. Cleanse me for all my sin. And I'm going to live my life for you because I understand it's not because of what I've done, but because of your good gift of grace. If you've never made that decision before, I encourage you, make that decision today. Be confident about where you're going to go when you breathe your last not because you're trying to weigh out the scales, was I good enough, God, but because you know that you gave Jesus Christ your heart and you committed your life to Him. And the second decision that we have to make is how are you then going to live your life in light of the first question? If you believe that heaven and hell are real, what are you going to do? Are you going to allow that to change how you live? Because it's more than just saying, Jesus, I trust you but then we also have to live as though He is the King of our heart. As though He is in charge of everything. That we actually desire, not my will, but yours be done. It sounds great to pray it, but do you actually believe it and desire it? We live our lives every single day in view of eternity. We're not re-earning salvation. We're not recommitting and putting our faith in Jesus daily. But after we make that first decision, every single day we have to decide, how am I going to live? Am I going to live with this view of eternity in my mind, shaping how I go about my business, how I treat other people, how I speak? My integrity, is that all going to be shaped by what I believe about the rewards that will be offered to me? Some people are absolutely terrified about what's going to happen when they die. 
they never, ever want to die. They can be 99 years old, find out that they have a bad heart and be like, well, take it out and give me a new one. I don't want to die. Like, we have to understand, death is knocking on every one of our doors eventually. Death and taxes, you can't get out of it, except for Jesus coming and bringing us home because we hit his last day. Otherwise, it's simply something we have to deal with. But I don't want any of you walking out of here afraid of it. I want you walking out of here confident, knowing what's going to happen and knowing that you don't actually die. Yes, your body, you lose that. But I think a lot of us are already like, yeah, this body's worn out. I'm looking forward to a new one. We go from life here to life with God. And that shouldn't be terrifying. That should be some really good news for every single one of us. Scripture is clear about what's going to happen to us for those who put our trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sin. I want you to listen to these final verse that's commonly read at funerals from 1 Corinthians 15. It says, In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Death need not be a scary place for the saints of God. Heaven is what awaits us. The presence of God, free from all the mess, all the evil, all the chaos, your worst troubling things, those temptations that you can't seem to get over. You'll be purified from those things. Those aches in your body, that pain that you wake up to every single day, you'll be released from that. And it will be all of the best things of this life brought together, the most beautiful things brought together, made for God's very enjoyment and for ours, that we get to spend eternity with Him. And so we need to live our lives looking forward to that very great day. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray?